0: Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc. Well, good morning, folks. Good to see each of you. I'm looking at you, see some of the smiling faces, and I'm sure... Uh, the rest of you folks behind the black, I'm sure, are happy and alive and doing well. <laughs> so great to see you. And uh, why don't we take a minute? We always do the little stretch thing. That's what we did from the beginnings. I figure we got a file suit, a good opportunity to praise the Lord and lift our hands up. Most important thing, before we get into the Word. We thank you. We, we thank you that we have in front of us. Uh, We thank you, Lord. Uh, It is a revelation uh, of your heart to our hearts. And we know, Lord, as we read your word, you're not just trying to give us data and information. You're trying to build a relationship with us. You're trying to reveal who you are. So Holy Spirit, we know you moved upon uh, Moses many years ago uh, and others to write these different books. And we just pray today that you would move on these words again, make them alive, make them practical, make them experiential. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to each of us through any specifics in this chapter, that you want to just have a direct word to our hearts. So, Lord, we just come with an expected spirit, and we, again, thank you for meeting us in Judges 12. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, let me read, and then we're going to jump in. So it says, Then the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they crossed Sippon, and they said to Japheth, Why did you cross over to fight against the sons of Ammon, without calling us to go with you? We will burn your house down. And Japheth said to them, I and my people were in great strife with the sons of Ammon. When I called you, You did not deliver me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? And Japheth gathered all the men of Gilead, and they fought Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim, because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, O Gileads, in the midst of Ephraim, and in the midst of Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan opposite Ephraim. And it happened when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they would say to him, say now, Shibboloth. But he said, Shibboloth, for he could not pronounce it correctly. Then they seized him, and they slew him in the fords of the Jordan. Thus there fell at that time 42,000 of Ephraim, and Japheth judged Israel six years. Then Japheth the Gileadite, died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Now Ipsom of Bethlehem judged Israel after him. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters, whom he gave in marriage outside the family. And he brought in 30 daughters from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibsen died and was buried in Bethlehem. Now Elon, the Zebonite, judged Israel after him. And he judged Israel 10 years. And Elon, the Zebonite, died and was buried at Jalon in the land of Zebulun. Now Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Paranite, judged Israel after him. And he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hilal, the Pyronite, died and was buried at Pyron, in the land of Ephraim, in the hill country of the Malachites. Okay, amen. So I don't know what you did with chapter 12, but when I first looked at it, I said Uh (laughs) uh-oh, sometimes when you look at some of these, you say, oh boy, what are we going to do here? Uh, How do we get something inspirational out of this? So what you do when you come on a chapter like this is you pray real hard and say, Lord, help. Uh, And I think he gave me uh, a couple ideas that we can get out of chapter 12. And the the two themes I pick up are, number one, uh, the importance of good communication what does good communication look like between people? And secondly, how do we raise up our children and our grandchildren in the faith? So those are the two areas uh, we're going to look at. So let's take a look first at the idea of good communication. Uh, To give you a little background uh, in regards to the, the war that we're referring to in chapter 12, uh, it says this in the chapter before, Judges eleven four, and it came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. So again, these foreigners are attacking Israel, the Ammonites, but uh, thank God, guess what? Israel wins the battle, uh, Judges eleven thirty two. so Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. It's okay, so the Ammonites trying to wipe out Israel is reversed. Israel wipes them out, and then with that, we jump right into Judges 12. So it says here, uh, the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they crossed the Zapon, and they said to Jephthah, why did you cross over? The fight against the sons of Ammon, without calling us to go with you, we will burn your house down on you. So, if you know there's Israel, and right down the middle of Israel there's the Jordan River. On the left side of the Jordan River, you have Ephraim and Manasseh, and then you have the other tribes, which would be to the east of the Jordan River. So the Ammonites are attacking, uh, and basically we're told Japheth, he's the judge at that point, uh, he summons the men of Ephraim. And basically what he's saying in verse one is, hey, guess what? You know, what's what's the deal? Uh, You know, why didn't you come? Why didn't you help us? And it says here uh, that the Ephraims, and, and they said, basically, to Japheth, to the folks on the east side of the river, like, what's the deal? We wanted to be in the battle with you, Israel. We wanted to have fight against the Ammonites. And uh, they basically <clears throat> are very ticked off at Japheth and the Gileads on the right-hand side of the Jordan. And here's what they say. Why did you cross over to fight against the sons of Ammon without calling us to go with you? In other words, we wanted to be part of the action. You left us out of it, and we're really ticked, and they're so ticked. Here's their attitude. Uh, We will burn your house down on you. That's really nice. So we got civil war here. Uh, We've got the Ephraimites on the west of the Jordan being uptight with the tribes on the east of the Jordan, and they get a real attitude, say, well, you didn't call us in, and because of that, We're going to have an explosion. We're going to burn your house down, Judge Jephthah. And Jephthah uh, comes back at them. If you look at verse 2, I and my people were at great strife with the sons of Ammon when I called you, and you did not deliver me from their hands. In other words, Jephthah says, there's a lot of baloney. I called you guys. I asked for your help, and you blew me off. And he goes a little further. Uh, When I saw that you weren't going to come to my aid, I just kind of said, okay, I'm going to suck it up, and we're going to fight the battle just by the tribes that are with us. And he says, when I saw, verse 3, that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands. I crossed over against the saints of Ammon, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up? to me this day, to fight against me. In other words, Jephthah is saying, like, what's the deal? you got an attitude. Why are you ticked off at me? I called you. You wouldn't respond. And now you're telling me you're upset with me? you got to be kidding. Verse 4, then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead, and they fought Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim, because they said, your fugitives of Ephraim, or Gileads, in the midst of Ephraim, in the midst of Manasseh. So the battle goes on, and at the end of verse 6, it says, thus fell at that time 42,000 of the men of Ephraim. So guess what? Ephraim goes down the tubes. So we got a perfect illustration here of what I think we would call is bad communication. You've got the Ephraimites saying, why didn't you call us in the battle? And then you got, on the other hand, uh, Jephthah and the people to the east of the river said, we did call you and you didn't respond. So have you ever been in a situation where communication uh, is not going too well? Uh, over the years, I've had an opportunity to do different marriage counseling situations. And it's amazing to me how people can have two totally different understandings of the exact same story. And the husband may say, well, she said, da, 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 da. And the wife can look back, you got to be kidding. Now it's da, 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 da. And we're going like this. And communication has totally broken down. So, So basically, <clears throat> you know, communication is really a key to so much. We're talking about communication with God. I mean, that's big time. Uh, that we get to know God and, and talk to him and let him talk to us. But communication horizontally is so important. Uh, there's there's issues in communication. What? Between husbands, wives, right? Okay, if you've been married, I'm sure we've all had some issues of communication. Uh, communication issues between parents and kids. Well, that's a given. If you're raising kids, there's going to be some strife and battles in that situation. Um Friends, even good friends can have spats and and have a a misunderstanding of each other. Um, When you look at even the church, uh, Pastor Ben has been doing a series on messy church. Believe it or not, people in church can get taped off with each other. I've seen it at times, and it's not pretty. And then you can see, we talk about communication. Look at what's going on in the nations. What's going on in the Ukraine and Russia? Come on. It's sometimes it just makes you sicker. You look at the world, and if we would get along, how nice it would be. But whether it's between a husband and a wife or whether it's between a nation and nation, we're a broken world. Communication has broken down, and probably many times that's because sin is involved in that situation. So, <clears throat> so what I want to look at is some things that I think would allow us to have good communication with other people. Number one is don't blow up. The Ephraimites had an attitude. We are gonna burn your house down, Jetha." I mean, they're losing their cool. They're exploding. And I'm sure in any situations we've been in, when we explode, communication totally shuts down because somebody's thrown a fit. And guess what? I know that's happened to me, and I'm sure everybody on this screen has somewhere along the way lost it. And that does not allow good communication to happen. So let me give you a couple verses right from the Bible in regards to this idea of keeping your cool. Uh, you might wanna jot down some of these. Uh, Proverbs fourteen twenty nine: He who is slow to anger, has understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. So Solomon says, you know what? If you lose your cool, it's folly. Uh, Proverbs sixteen thirty-two: He who is slow to anger uh, is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who captures the city. Solomon says, man, if you can keep your cool, that is so, so Important, even more important than capturing a city. Another one uh, is in Proverbs fifteen eighteen: A hot-tempered man or a woman stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. In Proverbs twenty nine eleven, a fool always loses his temper, but a wise man holds it back. So I think the Proverbs are saying it's so, so important to stay cool. And when we blow up, we're acting extremely foolish from God's perspective. Let me give you one more. Uh, This is in the New Testament, James 1.19. But let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So James is saying, chill out, because if you open your mouth and you blow up, you're going to say some things you're going to be very sorry for down the road. And again, we've all been guilty somewhere where we lost it and words go out and we say, oh, man, I remember my dad at one point, I don't know if he's trying to drive home a point to me if I lost it or who the setting was, I'm not sure. But he said, it's like toothpaste. When you squeeze toothpaste, you can't get it back in the tube. You ever try to do that? It ain't gonna happen. Once it's out, it's out. Uh, and I think Solomon is saying here, watch your words. They're important. Once they're out, you can't take them back. Uh, and many times I think uh, in Proverbs, Solomon would almost say words are like a sword. They can slash, you know, what people say sticks and stones, can break my word back or something like that, but words can never hurt me or whatever. That's a lot of baloney. Words damage and hurt people. So I think number one uh, in good communication is don't blow up. By the grace of God, keep a calm spirit. And, you know, by the grace of God, folks, we need God's spirit to be able to watch the tongue. Uh, In James, again, it says the tongue is a deadly member, and it's very hard for anybody to conquer it and control it on their own power. Uh, And that's why in Galatians 5.23, it says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to keep our tongue in check and to be able to stop us from blurting out Uh, something that's getting us ticked off. Uh, The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to stay calm instead of losing our temper. So number one, a good communication uh, basically is make sure, uh, make sure that you don't blow up, stay cool. Number two uh, is try to clarify the matter with somebody. Again, sometimes we just don't get it, and the communication is like this. If that occurs, then with a calm spirit, try to talk through the issue and try to get into the other person's perspective. Let me say it again. Get in the shoes of the other person. We always assume we're right and the other person's wrong, right? Many times that's the way it is. I've got it in my mind that I'm right, they're wrong. Well, Sometimes we need to just try to be objective to a level and say, let me, let me try to really hear what that person is saying. Maybe they have something to offer if I have an open mind. A thing I found helpful in counseling uh, in marriages, it could be other times, but particularly in marriages, uh, and somebody taught me this, it's called the intimacy uh, cycle. Let me see if you can get it with me. So I'm here. Uh, You can see my wife, Kathy, on the screen. So uh, we're going to use us as an illustration here. So, uh, yeah, there we go. So if we have an issue, then here's the deal. I basically can share whatever I want with Kathy. And the role of Kathy is to be quiet, not to interrupt me, but to listen carefully to words that I'm saying. And after I share a period of time, I then stop and say, Hey, Kathy, uh, could you feed back to me? What did you hear me say? And she feeds back, Well, you said this, 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 this. And I say, Kathy, you got it right, but you didn't understand that last part. Let me try to say it again. And I say it again. And then I asked her to repaint back to me, Okay, what did you hear? And she repeats back and I said, okay, now you fully understood me. And then it flips flops and I am to totally keep quiet, try to get out of me. And I listen carefully to Kathy and she shares whatever's getting her upset or whatever. And then she says, Hey, John, what did you hear? And I said, well, this is what I think I heard you say. And then after that, uh, she said, well, you, you know, you got probably almost all of it, but you didn't get this one point. Let me say it again. She says it again. And then she asks, okay, did you get it this time? I share and we get it. And you just do that back, forth, back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. Uh, And many times that helps some objectivity. And it also helps with the ability to bring clarity. So number one, stay cool for good communication. Number two, clarify the matter. Uh, Number three is a big one. Sometimes you just plain get an impasse, like, okay, we've done this, it just isn't working. Well, guess what? Maybe it would be good, in a sense, in a very figurative, not figurative, in a real way, get on your knees and talk to the Lord about the situation and say, Lord, I mean, sincerely as a couple, I'm using, but it could be friends, whatever. Get on your knees together, which is a symbol of our own humility. And Lord, would you please help us? We're at a stalemate. Lord, unfold this. Show us where we need to make the adjustments. Who's making the mistake, da-da-da, whatever. I think that could be really, really important. Just acknowledging, God, we can't fix this. You've got to give us supernatural wisdom to deal with this issue. And then uh, if that's still not cracking it, then what I would strongly suggest is then go to another person, a good friend you trust, and I would hope it would be a Christian, go to a good counselor, and again, I would hope it would be a Christian counselor, and go to somebody that is trained and let them help facilitate the communication back and forth and back and forth. My prayer would be is if we can keep cool, if we can try to clarify the matter, If we pray about it, if we get outside help, I can't help but believe God wants to get a solution. He doesn't want us to live in strife, whether it's in marriage, with our kids, with friends. And unfortunately, I've heard many times as people have had an issue with a friend and then boom, a block happens. And then they part their ways, but issues have never been resolved. So then again, if you've done all that, I think somewhere along the way, the light's going to go on. And somebody's going to have to say, you know what? Guess what? I was wrong, or maybe both people have to say, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Okay, I know we don't like to say that because we like to be right, but sometimes you just need to humble yourself and say, I'm wrong. Would you forgive me? Uh, there's a verse, uh, and it's again back in the book of Proverbs, which is a lot of wisdom. Proverbs nineteen eleven, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory, get this, it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Are we willing to overlook a transgression? Are we willing to forgive somebody that's hurt us? The Bible's really clear, we don't have an option. Folks, we do not have an option. The Bible says we must forgive. The Lord's Prayer, what? Forgive us our trespasses. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. And God says, sure. But then it goes on. And forgive those who trespass against us. So important. In Matthew 18, 23, there's an account of a king. And he forgives his servant a large amount of money. Just wipes the slate clean. But that servant then goes to somebody that he knew, and goes to that other servant and says, hey, you owe me some money, but it's not a lot. But he wouldn't forgive that servant. Even though he had been forgiven this big amount by the master, he went to another servant and would not, just would not allow forgiveness to flow. And then in the parable, Jesus says this. Here's what the master says. Then summoning him... The Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly father also do to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. Whew. The torture is, guess what, folks? If we do not forgive, we're going to be tortured. You're not torturing the other person by having an attitude. And and we've seen it in the freedom group. How often in the freedom group of people, how to deal with a grudge. I've held on to an attitude, a grudge, an unforgiveness with somebody. Uh, And guess who's being tortured? Not the other person. You're torturing yourself by not willing to let go and forgive that other person. And the Lord's basically saying, hey, if I forgave you, if you're a genuine Christian, if you're the real deal, how dare you not forgive somebody else? It's a contradiction. Think about that. God, please forgive me. i messed up, but I'm not letting that person go. I'm not going to forgive him. I think we really have to question, are you a genuine Christian? If you have an attitude and a grudge that you will not forgive. So, okay, Uh, so basically, again, uh, what we're talking about here is good communication. So we need to stay calm. Um, We need to clarify the matter. We need to pray about it, bring an outside person. And then at times, we need to admit we're wrong and say we're sorry. So that deals with the first thing of good communication. Now, how do you raise a child or a grandchild in the faith? And I'm looking at this, um, look at Judges 12, 8. Um, I think this is interesting. Ibsen of Bethlehem judged Israel after him. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. 30 sons, 30 daughters. I'm thinking, my word. I hope that wasn't one wife or she'd be dead. I kid about it. There had to be number of wives to pull off that. Can you imagine 30 sons, and 30 daughters. That's 60 kids. A lot of kids. Then I look at another guy, um, 12, 13, Abdon. Uh, He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons. So, I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, think about this. If these judges had led their kids or grandkids to the Lord, and disciple those kids, can you imagine the impact that family would have had on society? Would have made a tremendous difference. Large families deeply committed to the Lord could change a society. So I thought to myself, wow, the importance of bringing kids to the Lord and discipling them has to be way up there if you're a parent. And then the question is, okay, how do we indeed, how do we raise our kids in a godly manner? And, you know, the Bible is very practical, and it gives us clear instructions on that. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. And fathers, and, and I'm putting mothers in here as well, okay? And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Let me say it again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So hang on to that verse. So I think there's three things that the Bible's clear as parents we need to do in regards to our kids. Number one, we need to instruct them. We need to instruct them in the faith. Uh, There's a verse back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I like this, we've looked at it before, Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9, let me read it. And the Lord's saying this, and these words, which I am commanding you today, you shall keep them on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord is very clear. He said, parents, make sure your kids are raised in a biblical fashion. Very clear. Uh, So as a parent, I think we are to lead our kids to the Lord the best we can. And then we're to disciple them to make them strong in the faith. How do we do that? I think we have to teach them, how do you read the Bible? Okay? Give them some tips on how do you read the Bible. You might have them memorize Bible verses. That could be so helpful many times to kind of get them thinking that. We need to teach our our children how to pray, uh, how to have an honest conversation with God, to pour out their hearts to the Lord, even at whatever level. Tell God what's going on in your life. I think we need to Uh, Help our kids learn to trust God when troubles come. Guess what? Troubles come, not just to adults, but to kids. Some of the crazy things, kids are bullied in school. Uh, You know, people taunt kids. People say things that are hurtful. How, how, How do we help a kid process pain? How do we help a kid deal with temptation? Guess what? There's temptations out there. Think about the teens and the drug issues today. Hey, parents can't just say, well, well you yeah, know, I hope you figure it out by yourself You know, on the way. No, I'm sorry. I think we need to help them to deal with temptations. And I think we need to be able to teach them the importance of obedience, not just to the parents, but obedience to God, uh, how to show our love for him by doing what he asks us to do. And then I think another big thing for parents in regards to instruction, is as you go through life, because it's not just your devotion time, he says when you sit down, when you walk, I think uh, what he's saying is be open all through the day, and when God opens an opportunity, talk to your kid about the Lord, and I think we can tell our kids, you know, what's the Lord done for me? This is how I came to Christ. Child, this, this, this is how I got through that hard time. God came And got me out of a big mess so that they can actually see in your life as a parent a living illustration that God isn't just back there somewhere in history helping people back there he's right here Look, kid this is what this is what the Lord did for me so I think we need to instruct them Uh, I think the other thing we can do obviously is to bring them to church into like a Sunday school situation so that they learn with other kids but I think we need to realize the primary people to disciple our kids is not the church. One hour a week is not going to disciple your child to walk in the way of the Lord, because we're dealing with them 24-7, seven days a week. So parents are the primary people that God will use to be able to help our children grow strong in the Lord. So number one, instruct them. Number two uh, is to discipline them your children. Discipline. Let me give you a couple verses here Um, in Proverbs 13, 24. You can jot some of these down. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Diligently means not here or there, not when I feel like it, means consistently discipline a child. Um, Proverbs 19 Uh, And verse 18, discipline your son while there's hope. Do not desire his death. Ooh, that's in your face. Uh, How about uh, Proverbs 23, verse 13? Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you beat him with the rod, he'll not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. Ooh, that's pretty tough. I, I think what that's saying is there's a time, in a sense, uh, to paddle a kid. I know that's not big in our society at this point, uh, but I think there's times that, that a child may need that. Uh, not done when we're blowing up our steam, but when we're calm, saying, hey, there's a consequence for this negative action that you have. So I think in regards to discipline, Two things are important, number one, be in agreement. Kids will always try to place a a parent against a parent, a mom against a dad. If they can bring division in the parents, uh, in a sense they win the war. So it's very important that parents need to agree in discipline. We agree, this is how we are gonna deal with the kid when they do this, this, this. So I think discipline uh, needs to be in agreement between the husband and the wife. And secondly, it needs to be consistent. And I know we get tired as parents. Uh, I know it's a lot easier sometimes to just let it slip by, but we need to be consistent. If there's something wrong, whether I feel like it or not, we need to be consistent. This is wrong. If you do it today or tomorrow or whenever, you're going to get a discipline. So number one, we need to instruct our kids. Number two, we need to discipline them. And the last thing Uh, is we we should not provoke our kids. Uh, In Colossians chapter 321, it says this, fathers, and you can put moms in there too, fathers, moms, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. So what's it mean to provoke or exasperate? It means to be like just to be a pain in the neck. Uh, There can be some parents that just so picky, like every little thing. You got to do everything just perfectly, and the kids like uptight because the parents are saying, "You got to meet this mark. You got to meet this mark. You got to meet that. It's not good enough." It's always, it's always given the kid grief, finding fault, no commentation, uh, no encouragement. It's just plain, in a sense, being uh, having a perfect standard. Uh, and basically, <clears throat> I think some of it could be also just in a sense, and I don't think this is always a good way to go, to say, I'm the parent, you're the kid, you do it. I told you to do it. Shut up. I think sometimes it's important to tell the children, you're being disciplined, not just because I'm the parent, but here's why you're being disciplined. You're being disciplined because you talked back. That's wrong. You had an attitude. That's wrong. That's wrong. Here's why you're being disciplined. You hit your brother, your sister, these kind of things. So again, uh, there's no perfect parents. We need the grace. We need the love of God. But I really believe if we do those three things as a parent, uh, we will see God move in our kids. Maybe not immediately, uh, but I believe as the years go by, uh, it's going to make a difference in their life. So if you're a parent, uh, do those things. Instruct your children in the Lord. Uh, discipline them when they need it. And don't just always say, you got to do, you got to do, you got to be perfect. You got to do this, where they just say like, I, I give up. I can't do, I, I throw the towel in. It's not worth it. So um, hopefully these two points have been helpful, have been practical today. We all need good communication. Uh, And if we have kids, we need to know how to raise them up in a society uh, that it's challenging. Uh, If you're a parent today, my hat goes off to you. Uh, It's not easy, but God will give you the grace you need uh, to bring your children to the Lord. So let's take a minute. Let's pray. Father, we thank you from uh, uh, just this chapter about just the importance, Lord, of being able to to talk through issues and not to just give up and throw up our hands and say, ah, why even bother? Uh, We know Lord, you want good discipline in our lives as we communicate back and forth with each other. You want good discipline with our kids. Uh, Lord, I just pray, excuse me, for each person on the screen. Just want to pray for every marriage. Lord, that your spirit would move in a mighty, mighty way, uh, that you'd allow good communication. I pray, Lord, for parents and kids, Lord, that you'd allow good communication. Uh, Lord, if we've got an attitude, if we've carried a grudge, Lord, help us to let it go because it just torments us. Uh, It's not going to help us. And Father, I just pray for those that are raising kids, Lord, whether they're little babies, uh, whether they're teens, Uh, Lord, that you would give grace to each and every parent. So, Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, just for this day, and thank you for leading each one of my brothers and sisters by the power of your spirit. Uh, And it's in your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Have a great day today, folks. God bless you all, and we'll catch you next week.